I am The Animist, and you are watching the Video & Company podcast, a podcast where we talk about filmmaking and running a video production business. Today we have Jake Coletta, who is a Steadicam op and DP. Jake is a beast at what he does, and his work is nothing short of amazing. We talk about his relationship with Caravan, what's it like to be a Steadicam operator, and working on projects ranging from Disney, Gucci Mane, and top 50 pop hit Trampoline by Shade. I'm super appreciative for him coming on to the show, and it really couldn't have gone any more better. So without further ado, here's Jake Coletta. All right, we're live. Here we go. We're doing it. Yeah. Jake Coletta, thanks for coming on. Happy to be here. Um, so I'm going to do this one a little differently. I'm going to try sure. not to look at notes too much, too. Um, so instead of, usually I do... A little like how'd you get started, where you're at, and okay. how you got to there. But with this one, um, can you tell me a couple of what you would think is your greatest achievements in your career Ooh. as of right now? And then we'll backtrack into like all the different things because you do multiple things. Sure. Um, so you can talk about like those few positions you hold most dear and some of those social proofing uh, achievements of yours? Sure, yeah. Oh man, that's a loaded question, absolutely. Um, so I am director of photography and Steadicam operator. Um, oh, my greatest achievements, that's so hard to, to quantify. I feel like there's, I get excited shooting a project and then it could be five minutes after the project is done and we're wrapped and I'm like, why the hell did I do that? You know, like, why did I do this, this one thing this way? You know, if I could do that differently, I would, which I think to an extent is, a, is healthy kind of raising the bar on yourself, but I, I'll, I'll stay away from that rabbit hole. But uh, if I could think of immediately, like a project that comes to my mind um, would be a music video. I had the opportunity of shooting last year um, with a director friend of mine, Max Haven. Uh, uh, it was in Baltimore for a band that since has really taken off, um, which was really cool at the time. Um, they were, have not ceased to be any more talented than they are. They're, if anything, they keep on growing in ability and, uh, and viewership um, or people who listen anyways. But uh, music video is called Trampoline. It's for a band called Shade. Um, they're based out of the Baltimore, D.C. area. And you probably at this point have heard the song on the radio um, a few thousands of times. Um, I think it's been number one in the pop chart and indie chart for a, a good while. But uh, it was a project that um, was super was super meaningful to me. I had worked with Max previously on a, another music video for the same band. Um, and in that capacity, it was more of a steady cam operator, less of a director of photography, though I did have some input um, on some creative decisions. Um, and then he approached me like, Hey, you know, same band, uh, we're doing a music video. I would love for you to be the director of photography on it. Um, of course, at this point in my career where, uh, I'm getting more opportunities to do that, uh, I'm going to jump on any opportunity I can. So I was like, absolutely. That sounds great. I would love to be a part of this. The song is incredible. I had a feeling that it was going to be something. Um, I, I wasn't quite sure when you never really know with music videos because you know you have bands who've been out for tens of years who no one's really heard of and then it just takes that one um label that one uh, i don't know radio 
station to hear it or would want to put it on and it just takes off from there so that was this instance where we shot this video super stoked about it i'm still it's probably one of my favorite videos of all time uh, we shot in a white psych um super clean look and really got to push the um art department wardrobe and the props the, the kind of uh the tangible quality of a, of a production that I find that often people overlook that I feel like really takes it from, okay, like this is like, yeah, this is a high production value to like, okay, this is really high production value. Like it just puts it over the top. Um, so I think since the video, I ch actually checked the other day, I think they just reached about 10 million plays on the music video on YouTube, which is pretty rad. That's wild. Yeah. It's insane. Uh, it's funny. Cause when it first came out, it was like, okay, uh, I think a couple thousand, hundred thousands or so. And that was, it was like that for a while where it was just shy of like a, a million, maybe a couple hundred thousand, which is still incredible mm -hmm. given all the content on YouTube. And, um, but it wasn't until, um, where was it? I think, so the song was used on an Apple MacBook Air commercial, which I think was really the catalyst for their success as not only as a as a band but as this music video as well so it's uh, you know it's been a privilege to um be a part of something that's really taken off uh, yeah it's been awesome yeah i mean like being on an <coughs> apple commercial like the song that's like almost more official than like a grammy sure it feels like yeah like have you ever heard of lewis the child yeah. I was a big fan of them and then like they got put on a Apple commercial and it's like they were already big beforehand but it was like just it's the ultimate legitimization. Sure. And like being a part of a project that like was lucky enough to have that like that's intense. Totally, especially a, a product or a company like Apple where it's like okay, this is like one of the top 10 companies in the world, you know. So it's like, whoa. Yeah. They're doing it. Um you mentioned that the uh and we talked about this the last time we met up is the um, the actual like set design and mm -hmm. production design and how that was like really what brought everything to the top and totally. you know in a world where everybody's about like gear and resolutions and all that stuff like really and there's always going to be the one guy in the back that's like oh it's about the story it's like yeah it's about the story but like <laughs> like for stuff to look great like it's really about like what you're putting in front of the camera it's not what is behind the camera totally and um i wanted to talk a little bit more about that so like um, and you can use other references, sure. like other gigs, but like, how, why do you think that it was such a big deal and why it changed so much for the project? Just those few things like art department. Totally. Um, don't get me wrong. Like we had the opportunity to use some like really amazing pieces of glass. So we used K35s and shot Alexa mini and it, you know, we had, we had some great tools at our disposal, but I think there are a lot of projects out there um, that you know you can shoot on equally as nice glass, if not nicer, or equally as nice of a, of a camera, if not more so. Um, but there's a quality um, that comes from proper wardrobe, makeup, uh, props, um, art direction in general. That it's it just it really just elevates a production value. Um, I feel like it's it definitely can take an amateur feeling piece and make it feel professional, whether that be on a uh, scale of a hundred thousand dollar music video or on the scale of a five hundred dollar music video. If you're intentional with the details um, and you're not willing to compromise in the little things, I think 
that speaks so much about what you're willing to create as an artist as well as um just the the piece in general it's like why why are you willing to um you know you wouldn't put a a talent in like a blown out room and like your image is completely blown out so like why would you not want to take um the same care with tiny little details Mm -hmm. Uh, i really feel like it's those details that can take it from you know 99.9 to 100 yeah and there's a lot of like producing that goes or like a lot of the producer role that like is to get all those things organized is like really a pain and sure i i had a music video that got shelved and it was the most we had put into pre-production in art department it was like an achievement like mm. trucks delivery drivers uh greenhouses florist studios like or like and i since then haven't even had a job remotely close to as sure. big and it got shelved but it was like mm. it was beautiful because yeah. we took we did everything we were supposed to do and then it got shelved yeah so that sucks yeah that's never fun unfortunately products get canned from time to time and yeah you know it is what it is you kind of, kind of pick up and move on and hopefully you get to recreate the magic that yeah. you knew was there but. it's for sure a learning experience absolutely location's another one yeah i think you know location can take a piece and bring it to another level um you know you could have boring content put it in a, an interesting looking location and some instantly someone's like oh whoa yeah okay what do you got going on here this is this is pretty interesting mm-hmm. so yeah don't overlook those so um i guess now we can backtrack a little bit and like kind of like find out how um, you came to be. And you, are you originally, like where were you born? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Montreal, Canada. Montreal, Canada. Mm-hmm. How, did, how did I not know that? Not many people know that. Okay. I feel like it, it's easy to, to overlook. Because I mean, unless you ask or like really... Are I kind of get a about Canadian it. vibe off of you. Do though. you? Yeah, a Okay, bit. well, maybe. <laughs> it's just maple syrup just, just like pouring level. out. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I grew up in Montreal, um, lived there for about 10 years, um, moved with my family um, to Connecticut, and I lived there for ooh, six years and then moved to Charlotte about uh, 10 years ago. Right, and that was around school, and that's when we first met. That's right, yeah. Right. Um. So, like, how... Because, I mean, the show is filmmaking and the business side of it which we'll get into later but sure. like filmmaking in charlotte specifically kind of ish so like how were you able to get into what you're doing now like in town yeah because you don't you, you said you don't work much in town now i don't so no. how did it start for you yeah so i got my start um much like i feel like many other filmmakers um i was making the the home video there was home videos being made at home you know my mm-hmm. dad w- always took videos of our family when we went on vacation um just anything we did with family it would be there's it's somewhere on vhs in our house um so that kind of carried over to my whole life where um i never really applied myself fully in school i was not super interested in math and science and i did i did fine you know it's like okay i have to do this but when it came to the arts um I was like, okay, I'm so about this music, art, um, so anything from photography, pottery, painting, mm-hmm. drawing, I'm, I was about it. Um, so that also carried over into uh, traditional classes. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna uh, rather than having to write this five-page essay, I'm gonna do like a video instead because I, I feel like you always had those alternatives, which is a really weird contrast. It's like, yeah, you can write this super long essay, or you can make a video project. 
why wouldn't you make a video project? Yeah. I feel like that's just so much, so much better, at least for me anyways. So I always opted out to do those, um, those types of pieces. Um, so I was always like the media guy, always did video projects. And I fell into some classes in high school. Um, and it was fun, you know, you know, I really enjoyed it, but I didn't think of anything of it career wise. It's like, okay, this is a hobby that people don't make money doing film or like, what is a film industry? I had no idea of these concepts. I had mm -hmm. no clue. Um, it wasn't until I have to say maybe my freshman year of college, um, I was doing community college with the intention of, um, being like in business, just, I want to be my own boss. I wanted to start a small business. I had no idea what that meant yeah. or the capacity or in specific Avenue, but I knew I, I didn't want to have a traditional nine to five. Um, fast forward a little bit later, um, I had some friends who worked at a local church, um, who did some incredible work and it's like, okay, whoa, they're getting paid to do that. That's pretty cool. They're making incredible content. Um, I was like, you know what, maybe I, I can, maybe there is something there. Uh, maybe I can pursue something. So, um, I bought a, I think it was like a T3i, the, the classic camera mm -hmm. of all starting filmmakers out there. Um, Canon, if you want to sponsor me, you can, um, feel free to reach me at jakelevfilms at gmail.com. But, um, yeah, so I started shooting weddings. I feel like that's a, another common pathway. Um, my wife, now my now wife, girlfriend at the time, her family owned a wedding venue. So this is the perfect inn. I can Absolutely. shoot weddings for them um, or anyone who would want to hire me. Um, so did that. Um, and it kind of segued and slowly evolved into learning more about the industry. And, okay, I want to grow as a filmmaker. How do I do that? Film school, naturally, right? Mm -hmm. Well, um, I definitely could not afford going to film school, especially the ones I wanted to go to, like uh, Savannah College of Art and Design, for instance, which is where a lot of friends had gone. Um, so rather than doing that, I was going to move to Nashville, and there was a technical uh, school for like a year. My sisters lived in Nashville at the time. I'm like, this will be perfect. Moved to Nashville. I have family there. I'll learn for a year. Um, I think the incentive was they threw in like a MacBook Pro at the time. So I was like, the school? Yeah, it was part of like the tuition. You oh, got this gotcha. laptop. Right. <clears throat> so I'm like, totally. Yeah, I get a laptop out of it's it. Clever. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's this little dangling carrot that I'm sure in retrospect wouldn't help in any regard. But yeah, um, I can't exactly remember what happened, but I, I guess I, I lost focus for a second and reached out to the same guy I knew who was working at this church and I had heard he moved and started working at a production company, which is a production company called Caravan now. Um, and I reached out to them was like, Hey, you guys do incredible work. I would love to learn if I could just like come by sometime and learn from you guys. I, I would be honored. Um, this was six, seven years ago now at this time. And I got an email back I'm like, Hey, we actually just posted on Twitter um that we're looking for interns so if you want to apply like go ahead so i applied and i got it uh with another guy and um the rest is kind of history they taught me so much about the industry and i didn't know what a c-stand was mm -hmm. i you know i i barely knew the concept of iso iris and how those all worked in uh conjunction with each other so it was a it was a super formative time of my life and you know there's still such great friends and um uh associates that i work with but I, you know i owe them so much 
Um, but yeah, so I had the opportunity to work with them. That segued into working actually at the church for a contract period. Um, and then I think that was about six months left there, worked at an editing house, which is no longer around anymore. Did that for about six months as well. Mm-hmm. And then got a full-time job at a local uh, full service agency in Monroe, North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. So I did that for about two years and then I kind of felt like I was at a point where, um, freelance seemed like something I wanted to, to do. Um, I wanted to, to kind of raise the ceiling of my learning potential. Um, so I feel like there's only so much you can do when you are like the, you or another individual at a similar level as you are, or the cinematographer editors. So I was like, okay, I need to learn under people who have done it before me mm-hmm. and who are way farther ahead in experience and ability. Yeah. Um, so that's what I did about two and a half years ago. I made the jump to freelance and it's been the scariest, best decision of my life. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I wish I had done that. I, I, the whole like going under someone who's like better than you. Sure. Um, I, 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 I think it's probably somewhat of an introvert thing. Um, but like. Yeah, I, I can tell like a lot of people that have very good success, they all kind of have that. And it seems that you really hit all the points. Like you did some um, agency work. You interned at like, you, you couldn't have interned at a better place. Yeah, if I had known <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like you kind of like did all the paces. I mean, did, did you end up going to the school or did you drop it? I didn't. I okay. dropped it completely. And I think technically I'm still enrolled in community college. Oh, really? So um, Is it CP? It's that's like their sister college, like SPCC. Oh which yeah, it's like South that's the one that's versus like Central by Sun Valley, right? Exactly. Oh yeah. okay. So that's where I went. Exactly, it was near where I I went to high school. So I was like, this is perfect. Um, so I think I could technically finish mm-hmm. at this point. There's no point. It's and like, it's like uh, I've been meeting people recently, and they're like, they're asking me like, would you get a job? I'm like, I don't think at this at this point feels like if I got a job, I would be hindering myself. Like there there'd be a pay ceiling there would be a like limit on like the type of work like sure i don't i don't see any single benefit other than health insurance right but it's like yeah benefits are nice <laughs> i will just you know not go to the hospital so i'll be fine right yeah just eat an apple a day and you'll be fine that's that's how it goes so yeah you be in like one that. apple you're fine for the rest yeah. of your life <laughs> um so steady cam and dp is like your big thing right and you said you gaff a little bit i do yeah i gaff occasionally um, I think that's probably my favorite aspect of DPing is being able to work with a gaffer and help um, set the vision, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I think lighting is a super important proponent of that, if not the most yeah. for me anyways. I, you know, there's some DPs who are uh, just all about in camera and they could care less. Like, like, you know, if I have a gaffer they trust, they'll let them do their thing and, right. you know, of course they'll lean into it if they need to but uh, i definitely like to be more involved and kind of get an understanding of how we're going to motivate a specific scene and get get a say and feel into it for sure well so this is something that like i'm learning more and more about um is the latter mm-hmm. so like you probably experienced this with caravan and you've probably experienced it with your freelance career because you've you're very well connected you're very you know you you you're you're doing very well. You're a blessed man. Yes. And um, so, like, you've experienced the latter of, like, you know, the 
there's second AC to first AC, and that's right. how you get to like the camera. You you like you then have a decision to go like the DP or if there's you know totally. there's all those different like ways to go. But like I've been thinking about it recently. Like how does a gaffer start out? Like who's below? Is it like are you sure. just grip and then you move on? Or yeah, so. <clears throat> scope of projects really dictate a lot of positions because um, you know oftentimes you can look at a project and you have a skeleton crew of just like the essentials mm-hmm. so you could have like your dp maybe a first ac uh, a gaffer maybe a grip a producer director mm-hmm. maybe a sound guy and that's like your basic skeleton crew. maybe a sound guy May- if it's mos you right. know if you if you have like interviews for instance then gotcha. sure um but as you get into bigger scopes of projects um, there as you get, you get the bigger genie crew. So, I mean, you have key grip, you have your grip, you got your best boy, you got your best boy electric, you got your rigging, uh, grip. Like you, there are all s- so many specialized pieces mm-hmm. to a set, um, that are all super important and integral, um, but aren't necessarily needed in every project. M- more, mostly you're going to see those in narrative feature, you know, big commercial music video type of a world, um, it's, it's tough when you're trying to, when you're on a budget and you're like, okay, maybe we don't necessarily need a full G and E crew for this. We don't need, you know, five grips, a key grip, uh, you know, best boy electric, like all these, these roles. Right. So, but to answer your question, uh, the majority of these, uh, gaffers come up through gripping, working under, um, other experienced gaffers or have started building, um, an inventory of lights. There's an incredible uh, up-and-coming gaffer in Charlotte, TJ, um, which if you ever get a chance, I would totally reach out to him and meet him. He's a, he's, he's really something. What's his last name? Um, I'm, it's TJ Morrison. Oh, okay. Yeah, have you met I, him? I thought he, well, I think he's working with, what's his name? Dylan Hahn? Yeah. yeah. Uh, music in the Outer now. Banks. Yeah, absolutely. I just, he posted last night that it was for Mothica. I'm a Mothica fan. I was yeah. like, oh, snap. Like, yeah. I know who that is. Also, Outer Banks, like, that's where my family's from. So yeah. I thought that was, like, super it, it's cool. It's a star-studded team out so there. So he's becoming a gaffer. Yeah. Or he is, he like is a gaffer. Yeah. gaffer. yeah, I've yeah. used him quite a few times, and he's great. Um, he's a, a prime example of kind of jumping in uh, with some gene, local genie guys and um, learning with them, but also doing gaffing on this uh, his own gaffing and mm-hmm. been growing this inventory list. Uh, super talented guy, super nice guy. Highly recommend working with him if you get the chance. All those guys, I mean, Dylan, Elizabeth Coggins, um, Hudson Stafford, Brian French. It's like essentially the crew that's out there right now. Mm-hmm. All studs. <laughs> yeah, they're great. So um, steady camming is sure. like kind of I, from an outside looking in and from the conversations we've been having lately, steady cam seems to be your bread and butter. Yeah, right now I'm definitely, I'm probably about, especially this year, I'm about 85% steady cam to 15% DPing, which is great. You mm-hmm. know, I'm, I love steady cam operating. It's It's been an awesome avenue to get me closer to the end goal of being a full-time DP. Mm-hmm. Um, I think going back to your previous question of the, the hierarchy, so to speak, and working your way up through the ranks, you know, I started PAing, I did some gripping, I kind of had a little touch in, in each um, department, um, but I, I definitely lived more so in the camera department um, mm-hmm. versus uh, GE. But I did second AC for a while, few first AC jobs. It really wasn't for me. Um, 
there there are those people who are super technically gifted and know all you know the latest firmware updates and know all the latest toys and um, can problem solve the hell out of anything like you want those people in your corner mm-hmm. like when i when i do a job that i'm dping or even steady cam operating i want that guy with me you know because if i encounter a problem i want someone who i know can handle it um but that just wasn't for me so steady cam was a great way for me to still work with dps um and learn under them but still have some semblance of a creative decision and uh, work on my camera movement and my camera ability and um, and still continue to grow. What what made you like even attempt to go that avenue, man? Like, because you're kind of I wouldn't say new at it, but like you you haven't been doing it for ten years, right? Sure. So there are some operators who you know ten years, twenty years, thirty year veterans who are just tanks. They're the studs of the industry. They're mm-hmm. just like you look at it you're like that's a that's a dolly. You're like no, that's uh, that's that guy. He's just been doing it forever and he's incredible. So that's definitely a level I aspire to, but you know, I'm two, three years into Steadicam, op- two years into Steadicam operating, which is like, I'm, I'm baby fresh. So I've got a long way to go. Um, but it, it, I'm trying not to let it get me down sometimes because <laughs> you look at people's work as I feel like many creative zoo in any capacity, any role, it's, you can look at other people's work and instantly compare yourself to them. Mm-hmm. So working diligently on not being discouraged by, um, the ability of others, but more so let that be an incentive for myself. Um, to be, okay. Like, yeah, you can do that. You just got to put in the time and the effort. Um, just like anything else, you know? Well, I mean, I feel like your schedule, like you, you take one glance at your schedule and just realize like, like I'm being hired constantly. Sure. Like, that should be like extremely validating. I would think. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, but you know how we all are. We yeah. all get, we all get in our own heads sometimes. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely guilty of that, but, uh, I've definitely been super blessed with um, people I've met and having awesome opportunities thrown my way. But Steadicam has been has been incredible. And you did a um, it was a Tiffin program. Yeah. And so you have and and talk about that and sure. then also talk about a little bit about like this setup because I don't think um, I'm not super sure if like the audience that is this is this shows like prone to like is super knowledgeable about all this stuff because yeah. it's kind of like a lot of people are kind of either um friends of ours or they're kind of just starting out sure yeah so steady cam started because i reached out to when i first went freelance like the first four months of going freelance i chose the best season i chose the holiday season to go freelance which if any freelancers out there know is the hardest season because there's almost no work for a lot of us, you know, you can get projects, but for the most part, it's a tough season. Um, so I had like no work for the first four months. So I was reaching out to everyone I knew, cold calling, Instagram messaging, um, just reaching out to see who's out there that I can meet with and I potentially work with. So I reached out to the nicest man on earth, Dave Svensson, who is a veteran Steadicam operator. Um, he's essentially my mentor. Uh, with Steadicam, and he's also an incredible director of photography, works a lot with uh, uh, Fox and NASCAR and a lot of the broadcast side of things. So I reached out, was like, hey, we'd love to meet, grab coffee. He's being the nicest man he is, was like, yes, we're doing this, let's 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 meet up. So we're talking, um, was like, hey, I'd love to AC for you. Because at that point, that's all I knew. 
Mm-hmm. I, I was living in the camera department, second day seeing, first day seeing. So I was like, I'd love to AC for you. He's like, okay, awesome. Was, I'm also doing this workshop. Um, I'm a Steadicam operator as well. Like I'm doing this workshop in Kentucky at this university um, for people who are interested in learning about Steadicam. It's mainly geared toward the students there, but we have some open spots for um, outside uh, outside interest. So I was like, okay, whoa. Uh, Steadicam, never really thought of it, never really crossed my mind. I was a big fan of gimbals. You know, mm-hmm. I love the the look that gimbals provide, the smooth shot. I probably put warp stabilizer on way too many handheld shots in my life. So, um, I was and by like, gimbal, do you mean like the old school like glide cams, or do you mean like where yeah. it was cranes so, and all that? So stuff both. Okay. So both. I was definitely interested in like the Ronin side of things as well as like glide cam as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I was terrible at glide. I had a glide cam, like HG 2000 and I was terrible. So if that w- was any indicator, I probably should have turned tail and run because <laughs> I was miserable at it. Could not balance it to save my life. But I don't know how he roped me into it, but he got me to sign up for this workshop. And um, at the time, I think my wife and I were saving up for our first home. So I was like, hey, um, is it cool if I spend X amount of money to take this workshop in another state that will have to pay for stay in this workshop? And I may not even want to do this as a career, but I want to find out about it. So that was a fun conversation. Sounds um, like it. But my wife is super supportive, has been you know my biggest fan uh, as well as my family since I started. And she's like, you know, go for it. Like, you know, pursue your dreams sort of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So I took the workshop and the rest is kind of history. Fell in love with Steadicam operating. Um, Yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. And you ended up going the, uh, I think CGI Pro, CGI Pro route? Uh, GPI Pro. GPI Pro. Yeah. So there are a couple of like main brands when it comes to Steadicam. And Steadicam is kind of like a, a coined term for all of these sleds is what they're, you know, sled, mm-hmm. arm, vest. Um, but Steadicam itself is Tiffin's brand. Um, GPI Pro is another brand that also makes a Steadicam. Uh, XCS is another one. There's quite a few more out there. Um, but yeah, I do the GPI. And I've always felt like I was fancy because um, when I, uh, how long ago was this? 2014, so s- five years ago. I got the Steadicam Solo, which was like the lowest. It was essentially a glide clam, like an HD 2000. Yeah. But it was by Tiffin, so it was a Steadicam. So totally. I got all the Steadicam stickers, and I was like, I'm so official. Heck yeah. And like I threw a seven inch monitor on it. I'm like rocking this thing, and it's like, it it's 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 so tiny sure. compared to like the real thing. And like I've never had to use a, a vest for it, which kind of like it. Even a glide cam, I feel like you throw a vest on it, and it's like you you kind of look like you know what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, the vest definitely gives you like an imposing, uh, like that guy. Yeah, he means business. Yeah, I but mean, don't don't let it get you wrong. Most of the time, I have no idea what I'm doing. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but man, the solo it's it's a great place to start. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the most important thing is uh, don't be afraid. You know, by any entry level or uh, you know professional level of gear like you got to start somewhere yeah um so there's there's no right or wrong for that i feel like the steadicam solo was like i feel like the product never got what it deserved because it does it does a great job sure um but there was a youtube video that like i want to say had like nineteen thousand views and 
it was just this dude. Uh, it was a very well. It looked the video looked good, and he was just railing on it because yeah. he couldn't balance his, and it looked like a very well done video. So all these people watching it are like, "Oh, that thing's a piece of junk." <laughs> and it's like, no, it's actually perfectly fine. He just doesn't know how to sure. balance his. And I think that one video could very well have like tanked that entire product, because hmm. um, they like no longer carry them, and also like the prices like. It wouldn't even be worth selling mine. I think I got mine for like five hundred dollars or something like that. Sure, it's like two hundred bucks now. But yeah, I guess it's another accolade you can put on the shelf. Um, tell me about Video Village. Oh gosh, yeah, because that thing is—it's uh, <laughs> kind of—it's—it seems like it's one of those things that has like grown a leg of legs of its own. Sure, um, and it's kind of like I'm not on Facebook much like at all anymore. But when I am, um, and I like peep in on it, it's like just. A booming place and it was just funny how you are connected to it but i'll let you tell that story yeah so i mean it's funny you say that because to me it's like i don't really think anything of it um but essentially it's a video village is a facebook group um that stemmed from another one called super secret filmmaking filmmakers group super secret filmmakers group ssfg um uh there's a talented dp out of new england evan borsier he started um Oh, yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Okay. So he had a podcast um, for a while. I'm not sure if he does them anymore. Well, I know him from the Lens Pro to Go stuff. Sure. That's where I knew him from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he got his, his name definitely in like the YouTube world and had a podcast and started the, the first group, uh, Super Secret Film Group. And um, there were thousands of members in it. At the time, um, I think he closed it down for personal reasons and it essentially was closed. So nobody could really comment or whatever, talk on it. Um, and it was such a, an important asset to so many filmmakers. Um, so a, a few friends of mine were like, okay, let's just make another one. And we did. And this is the the product of that. Um, I think at the time we named it Super Secret Film Group 2.0 or something silly. Um, and then we eventually just renamed it to Video Village. And uh, it's been an awesome resource for a lot of filmmakers, um, myself included, whether you're looking for crew out of the country, out of state, uh, local, um, whatever it may be. If you have a question about gear, um, it's kind of all facets. You know, you can rub shoulders with filmmakers of all tiers mm -hmm. um, all over the world. And it's been a really been a really awesome place for networking and community. That's what I've always thought was cool about it is that like you will see some like phenomenal work coming out of it. Like yeah. I think I think um no, I'm getting it mixed up. I Ben Halford might be in it, but I know I met him through an anamorphic Facebook group. And then do you know are you familiar with him? Ben Halford? What was his name? Ben Halford. Ben Halford. The name sounds familiar, but I'm not phenomenal. I don't know where he's out of, but he might be in the group. Cool. Um but like just like that high level stuff. But I mean, um, like caravan level stuff uh but it's you know so you got like people um that are just starting out and then that like get in there somehow because i think a friend of mine taylor drake invited me yeah. to it um do you know taylor mm -hmm. i do how did i know adam we've talked about oh that's right yep so you don't know taylor from before adam correct gotcha. I, met, I met taylor through adam yep gotcha but yeah it's just crazy that like there's just everybody's there sure and you know it can i've seen it you know where like it's Facebook. People right. can turn a certain way. Some people are just dicks. Absolutely. It just happens. Yeah. It's something about social media in general and just online presence. You could, people are different, 
beasts yeah. online. <laughs> well, and the way that like um, I found out that you were an admin, which I could have easily like just seen on like the about tab. Sure. But um, was we were having coffee and I was like, have you ever heard of Video Village? And I was just talking about like this thing called Video Village. Yeah. Yeah, I made it. And I was like, <laughs> how often does that happen to you? Does that happen? Um, I feel like that's a thing. Not, not really. Really? Well, like once or twice. Not like, it's not like, oh yeah, I made Video Village. Yeah. It's, it's not really something that I'm like, it doesn't like feel anything special, you know? And I, it's like, I didn't really make it. It was more so just like a few friends who were like, yeah. let's bring this awesome resource back, you know? So it's not really like a specifically person, not an individual who owns it or right. started it per se, but um, it's just been like an awesome, awesome um, asset for a lot of people. Well, and you treated you treated another project kind of similarly in that aspect where it's like, you're just kind of like that kind of chill personality or non-braggadocious at all. And I don't know if you are willing to talk about it on air because it was technically shelved and it was like high level people, but like the little, you call it like iceberg boys. Oh. It was like the super group thing. <laughs> Could you like talk about that at all? Yeah. Oh man. Um, it was a difficult project. I was doing steady cam on a music video in Atlanta for um, a few well-known rap artists, um, Migos, Lil Yachty, and Gucci Mane, um, which if you know anything about rap, they're titans of the industry. Mm-hmm. This was earlier on in my steady cam career as well, so I was I was geeking out a little bit. I was yeah. like, okay, this is pretty cool. Like, this is one of my first projects in a role where you know I'm operating a camera in front of these individuals. Um, little did I know that project was a handful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a, it was a tough day. Um, you know, artists are difficult because they're artists. They oftentimes they feel like they can do what they want, which they can because they are this high tier, high level person who can just you know people do they they bend to their will so yeah. to speak. So we're on set for like four hours. You know, we're already being rushed to prep and get everything set. And the artists don't show up for like four hours into the day. Um, So we're just kind of in a holding pattern after like all this hurry up and wait, you know, Mm -hmm. which is a common term. It's like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Okay, now wait. So um, they finally show up on set. It was 100% steady cam, which is totally fine. It happens a lot, um, which is great especially for me where I'm like wanting to, to do more. Um, but these were really intense steady cam shots, um, oneers, um, if you will, which essentially it's a one take. Um, it wasn't going to be used as a one take music right. video, but we were filming the, um, the track all the way through yeah. for coverage. Um, it was just mismanaged from the producing side. So we're just doing unnecessary amount of takes. I didn't get any breaks. Um, we didn't have like it's little things like it probably seems menial to some people, but we didn't get our lunch until like nine hours into the day, which is especially when you're operating a camera, whether it be steady cam or handheld, you're burning a lot of calories and you're sweating. It was hot. Atlanta's hot. It was in the summer. Yeah. Um. So it was tough. Uh, you know, like you gotta you gotta feed your crew. You gotta take care of your people. Um, and they'll take care of you. I'm a firm believer in that, um, treating everyone with respect on set, regardless of stature and position. Um, and that wasn't really, unfortunately, the case here. Um, but 
you know, it was a, it was a great learning experience. Mm-hmm. I think at the end of the day, I think it was like a, it ended up being like a 14 or 15 hour day, which is a long, long day. Um, my hips were bleeding from my vest, my Steadicam vest. Just like chafing? Essentially chafing. It, yeah. it was just, so there's like, um, the vest is padded, but there's like hard plastic parts. I was doing so many Dutch angles, which is basically I'm push, I'm pulling the camera out and right. I'm doing those slow turns. Mm-hmm. The weight is just off your body. And in Steadicam, the farther away the camera is and the rig is from your body, the harder it is because the closer to the center of gravity of your body, the easier to manipulate and yeah. operate. So it's just exhausting. And I was doing that for 14 hours or I guess after they showed up about 10 hours straight, um, no breaks. It was just brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, it's, it was a great learning experience. Um, knowing what I was, what, what kind of projects you get into and asking the appropriate questions, making sure you, not only that you're set up for success, but you can set production up for success as well. Cause ultimately it's like, you know, you're hired to do a specific task, a specific role. Um, you want to do that to the best of your ability. So if you come in unprepared, um, or not really knowing what that's going to, what your role is going to entail, then mm-hmm. you can't mentally prepare yourself or, um, prepare yourself with the proper tools as well. So yeah. It was I, something. I mean, it's, it's definitely, uh, a footnote for your life. Like, yeah. I mean, once again, a shelved project because it was shelved, right? It was. Yeah. yeah. That sucks. Which but. is crazy because the scope of it was massive. I bet. They had, um, if you're familiar with a techno crane at all, yeah. or also called like a Jimmy jib, they had a techno crane ready for these exterior shots, which is essentially, it's like a giant, um, telescoping jib, um, that, you know, you can get incredible shots with it. People dream of using them on shoots and they had one on this music video and because we didn't reach our our deadline on the day or meet our schedule, they just canned it. Like, all right, you guys can go home. So, hey, Man, must, must be nice. <laughs> um, I guess bringing it back to like Steadicam is like, in this world today, like, I think if people don't already have a respect, or I guess it depends on like people's perspective. There's people that have like a huge respect for Steadicam. Mm-hmm. Like I've operated Steadicams, like sure. Vestless or whatever. Yeah. I feel like I'm decent at it. Um, people, some people are impressed. Sure. But uh, um, like if you don't already have that respect for like, it's a, it's a, it's an art and a science for sure. And it's 2019 and there's like running SM, sure. Crane 2, Crane V, like all this crap there's reasons to use either of them totally like it's like there's a tool for every job absolutely but like is there something that you could say for the people that like don't realize the magnitude of like steady cam as a craft and also as like what you see what you end up seeing on the screen yeah is there something you could tell the people that like are just so into gimbals but like there's a five percent chance that they might like convert Totally. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm as well, you know, I'm a big, I'm a firm believer in there's a right tool for every job. Um, I think gimbal, uh, you know, Ronin, Movi, that whole world is incredible. Um, I couldn't do it because I, you know, I can't balance a Movi to save my life. Um, but, you know, I have appreciation for the operators, the Movi techs and operators out there because um, they're studs as well. And it's, you know, it's not an easy job. You know, it's physically demanding as Steadicam is. I'd say the differentiation between Steadicam and Movi, I mean, you can see it in the shot. 
yeah. um, you know, a good, a great movie cam operator, you know, um, you won't see what I call swimming, which is where the camera kind of bobs up and down in mm-hmm. the frame, often from, from steps, it's your footsteps. And yeah. that's what, you know, steady cam is so important in footwork as well as, you know, just, um, operating with your hand and light touches on the gimbal. But, um, you definitely, you can feel the difference where steady cam is flows a little more nicely. It's got a little more of a floatier look. Um, you can get operators who, you know, you have those steps in there, especially with heavier builds. Um, you know, if you're stepping heavier, you can see those, but, uh, steady cam, I feel like just allows you to do those long one takes and have a little bit more range and mobility. Um, you can do a little bit more, um, with a steady cam, in my opinion, it's, or rather you can do things differently. Right. Um, you know, you can't pass a steady cam through a window like you can a movie. Right. Um, but there's, there's a plethora of incredible, um, you know, going from low mode to high mode, you know, there, there are operators out there with Trinity rigs or Omega rigs, which essentially, um, it's a steady cam that can do twists and turns yeah. and it's it, the gimbal with the steady cam right it's like essentially yeah. yeah it's basically like you have a head that can do 360s and mm-hmm. turn with it or um the camera stays horizon the whole time whereas you can take the whole rig um vertical horizontal up down left right you know you can take it anywhere yeah um so it, it's it's pretty incredible tool i um actually just heard recently or it's something that i had never heard before and someone it was saying uh that the and you mentioned the swimming i've noticed i can notice that sometimes when it's bad Mm -hmm. but when it's like super subtle often like i won't see it unless i'm looking sure right Um, you've got to be looking for it most people aren't going to notice it unless they're looking for it right and someone was saying that like the the re uh, a lot of the times the reason some people will pick study cam over gimbal is for the reason alone that like um like ronins and stuff like that don't do well with vertical stabilization Hmm. period now i'm not saying ronin the brand but like the whole thing is that like that they're good at this everything else but for some reason like this hasn't been figured out and it makes sense because with the um the arm right that's the whole purpose yeah kind of yeah the arm's isoelastic so it you know it's absorbing so much Mm mm-hmm you know, I've, I've had tough shots where, you know, you're squeezing through a doorway. You know, if you bang the sled side where the camera is against the doorway, you're going to see that in camera. Mm-hmm. But I've had times where I'm brushing up and my arm brushes up against the doorway. And you don't see a thing in camera because that's absorbing everything. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's a pretty incredible piece of equipment for sure. Um, I, do you, are, you know, Chivo, what's Chivo's real name? Emmanuel Lubinsky? Uh, you know who I would, I'm talking about, right? I do. I would butcher it. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, like I'm a huge fan whenever him and Terrence Malick work together. Yeah. Because it's nothing but like 16 mil on a steady cam kind of thing. Absolutely. And it's just like natural light. Like it's just so self-indulgent. Sure. Um, story and visuals. But um, I actually got to go. I wanted to see Knights of Cups in theaters. I missed it because it was only in town for like two days. So then they came out with a recent one with Ryan Gosling and it was about like a concert and Michael Fassbender was in it. Not mm. very good. It was mm. not great. Okay. Um, but it's a Malik and Chivo thing. So sure. I loved it anyway. Um, but I remember I was in the theater and I audibly gasped 
because there was one scene where I could tell it was an electronic gimbal mm. that Chivo switched from Steadicam. I, I don't know if it was a second unit thing, sure. but like I could tell. And it I was just stunned and kind of ticked off a little bit. I was like, I, I, I expected more out of you. Totally. But um, <laughs> it's just weird because like my friends were like, what? I'm like, that's electronic. They're like, how do you know? I'm like, I know. But I, just feel, I could feel it. Yeah. Your your skin stood up on your arm. That story is way more pretentious when said aloud than in my head. <laughs> no, you know. Because you can tell, right? You can definitely tell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there are shots where sometimes you can't. I mean, I'm sure... Well, I'm sure there are shots where you can't tell because the, if they're, they're out there and I haven't been able to point it out, then they definitely got me, you know? Yeah. But, you know, like I said, there's a tool for everything. There's there's reasons for everything. Um, a lot of times people just don't want to have to rebalance. You know, balancing a camera on a movie versus a Steadicam is, <clears throat> it's, it's similar but different. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have a camera and you need to do a lens swap on a movie, it's so much more intensive to rebalance that thing. Whereas Steadicam, it's just a four and a half adjustment. Yeah. Because for the most part, lensing, if it's a proper lens set, the elements and the lenses themselves are going to be sized um, similarly. That's true. Uh, if it's like a cinema lens set. Um, occasionally, you know, you're going to have off lenses that are, you know, an 85 to a 35. Um, the front end might be heavier or longer. Um, but like I said, you know, it's just a quick, there are knobs on the top of the, the on the top stage is, is what it's called on the sled of a Steadicam. And that's just a quick adjustment. Yeah. Um, and there are plates that you can have on a steady cam that you can put on a tripod called an SOS plate where you can literally pop off of the steady cam straight onto a tripod yeah. and not need do another you not plate. Do you not do that at all? No, I do. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have that. And that's, but there are operators who don't, you know. Um, I thought that was like the standard for like just to get it started. Sure. Well, oftentimes the um, the plates for a steady cam don't, they're not the same type of a dovetail that would go mm-hmm. on. Um, a pair of sticks so um, you'd need that special adapter plate that you can just hot swap it really quick Um, and then you know if you have your measurements taken properly you can just throw it back on your sled and you're good to go Um, it's a lot harder to do that in a movie because it's so fine-tuned as a steadicam is but you can't necessarily just put it right back in the same spot and it'd be perfectly fine right kind of just to like bring everything together where do you want where do you want to go with everything yeah like where would be i don't want to do it like where do you see yourself in five years i want to do like a like if life worked exactly the way that you would like Mm. it to do for you your family career and everything like what type of work and like at what level and like how frequently like what would be like your dream schedule look like totally um yeah, it's a tough question. I'm honestly, I'm super blessed right now. Um, I, I'm really content with where I've had the opportunity to, to be at. Um, you know, I think everybody always wants to aspire to something more. Um, so I think if that, if I was looking at it from a perspective place of like where I want to be, probably, you know, solely DPing. Mm-hmm. Um, not not that I don't love Steadicam. Um, I think I just love DPing more. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd probably be working commercials. I love commercial work. 
Um, there's a lot of commercial uh, DPs out there who would say like, ah, I'm so over the commercial look. I want to do something a little more experimental, whether that's music videos or, or I, I want to work in the narrative field. Like there are people who want to do features full time for their life, which is incredible mm-hmm. and like more, more power to you. Yeah. I think, you know, my wife and I just had uh, our first baby um, a month and a half ago. So having a, f- yeah. again. thank you. Thank you. Um, but having a family makes things different um because you have to think about them i can't just think about myself and my career Mm -hmm. i have to make decisions as a as a family unit as a family unit with my wife um because that impacts their life and my son's life and so um whereas features sound good um i don't think i'm at a place where i'd want to take on a feature i think um there are people who are ready to jump in at a feature just starting out as a a cinematographer doing video, which is awesome. Um, I think I want to put my name on something where I'd be happy with it. Um, And I think there's so much to learn with narrative work and pacing. Um, So commercials, yeah, commercials are great. I love music video and the doc world as well. Um, It's just being, it's hard being away for months at a time. Yeah. Especially with a family. For sure. So, and I want to be a part of my family's life. I don't want to be gone for X amount of time, you know, and there are the occasional projects where you're gone, which, you know, you do, you, you got to do what you got to do. You got to yeah. do what's best for providing for your family. Um, but I think commercials are uh, a fun, a fun place and I enjoy them. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's interesting. I had, um, well, you have a lot of free time, right? Sure. Yeah. Oh, let me answer that with, a you know, so I think the biggest um, misconception with people who look like they're busy all the time is they are not busy all the time. There are the occasional, there's like the exception of a few people who are just always busy, Mm -hmm. but especially as a freelancer, you're going to have downtime mm-hmm. and you can't let that get you down. I let that get me down a lot. <laughs> kind of a benefit sometimes. Right. Absolutely. Like, yeah, enjoy it. Like as a, as a mental break, like, you need to give yourself those reprieves. Yeah. Cause it's not healthy to constantly be grinding away. Um, as freelancers, we're our, we're, we are our business. We're business owners. Yeah. We're selling ourselves and our ability. So, uh, you know, when an average person can go home from a nine to five and not have to think about work, at least in, for myself, I lay in bed and I'm like, okay, did I send that invoice? Did I respond to that email? There's so many things. Mm-hmm. Business doesn't stop yeah. being a business owner. It doesn't stop. You're constantly having to think about something and work on something. So I think giving yourself, whether it be forcibly or um, just not having work, um, giving yourself time to recoup um and pick up a hobby you know let your brain refresh and um be put in a spot where you can take on the next project with 110 percent and not be withered from going from project to project to project to project because it's going to take a toll on your creative ability and your mental capacity and it's just it's not healthy absolutely eat an apple you know yeah read a book <laughs> and i think that like that's a perfect answer um that's kind of like I I want more free time. Um, I think I think if I didn't have to edit, 
I would have that. Vision. Sure. Like if it was just like planned shoot or, you know, I'm, th- I'm thinking about like going just the gaffer route or at least mm. to try it. Yeah. Um, so people are going to get DM'd after this for sure. Sure. But uh, I think that was perfect advice and I think it's a great way to close. Yeah. And, um, appreciate you coming on. Man. Yeah, man. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thank you for coming in after coming back from a extended stay shoot. Yeah, just, absolutely. Yeah. Af- after that question, my wife's probably, she'll be listening to this and just be laughing like, haha, hey, you've been gone for this wasn't long. Wasn't that kind of the point? I completely <laughs> forgot. You like, there was a s- special shoot that you had just done that you wanted to talk about. Oh yeah. All right. We'll have to edit some things. Okay. Some things. That's the, that's the rewind. Okay. Um, so yeah, no, I had the opportunity to work with a, a great friend of mine, Scott Jones, um, in Orlando a few weeks ago on someone. Yeah. yeah? Someone brought his name up recently. Hudson? Was it Hudson? It, it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Hudson and Scott are, are boys. Gotcha. Um Scott's incredible. He's a filmmaker from Charlotte. Um he and his wife are big Disney fans and um started uh, an Instagram and like a social brand and an apparel company called Oh Yeah Disney. You should check them out. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. Um, they did like they do vlogs and photos and video and all this stuff. Um, so being a filmmaker, it looks incredible, which I yeah. think gave them the the edge. Really, it, it's it's awesome work. Um, but had the opportunity to DP uh, a small commercial for him and Disney a couple weeks ago, which was. I, going back to the early, early question of uh, kind of milestone things, that that's definitely one of them for me. I think um, you know, being able to to do a job for Disney, I'm a big Disney fan myself, so yeah, it was pretty awesome. Um, it was an incredible piece. It was an overnight 15-second um, social spot, which doesn't sound like much, but we were setting up lights for a, an overnight exterior where we had a blank canvas yeah so if you you know if someone knows much about lighting it can be a little bit of a daunting task yeah where you have all these potential possibilities so it was it was awesome though it came out great great and well like you said like location is a lot so you, yeah you had one of the best locations like uh, i couldn't imagine an outsider trying to get access to stuff like that but yeah. i do i do remember seeing some stories one was you were railing on the dude for uh his matthew dolly not having tracks <laughs> and um w- was that the indiana jones thing i think i've seen that when I was yeah there. yeah yeah we, uh, we had the privilege of going into uh, one of the parks the day before the shoot and we, we watched uh, the indiana jones live experience and essentially it's like a film set with yeah. the stunt work and they have the crew positions of the second AC and the first and second AD and director and the DP. And it's just funny because, you know, they have this dolly, which is meant to look like a Fisher dolly, but it's basically a Matthews doorway dolly that has this, um, tilt, this like gear head on it, but there's like no support for it. And it looks like it, it basically looks like it's just like plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so being in industry professionals as myself and uh, my buddy Levi were, we were kind of just like joking around, you know, yeah. obviously we weren't really scrutinizing this show cause it was incredible, but uh, it's just funny going back and watching it again from watching it growing up, you know, you, you pick up these things, you're like, Oh, wait a second. That's, that's not right. Yeah. <laughs> so well, it was I, fun. I think I've been to that. I was at that show when I was, uh, seven years old. Yeah. I think I saw the exact sure. same one. That was crazy. And then, um, I did see some behind the scenes, like it wasn't really a lighting setup, but I was just kind of like yeah. replaying it. I'm like, what has he got going on? 
where it was like, uh, and I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it. It's like this walking area. There was like a, like a shop or something. Yeah. And on the far right side, you had like a six. You were shooting what looked like a warmish light. Yeah. Through you're basically book lighting. Exactly. And so, were you like trying to? Did you light most of the stuff like from the ground, or did you get to light anything from up high? So, the tough thing about um, overnights is, you know, you want to light to motivate properly. Um, luckily, we had a lot of practicals in the park we were shooting to, to motivate off of, which is where a lot of the warmer feel came from. Mm-hmm. Um, you're exactly right. We book light. Uh, we hit it with a book light. Um, we had initially, I was pitching a weather balloon bounce, which was like right. You throw it up in the sky, you hit it with a strong HMI, and you get that moonlight sort of a look. Um, We had a couple HMIs that were higher output. It just didn't read for me personally. It just wasn't floating about. It didn't didn't feel right. It felt a little unnatural, Mm -hmm. um, especially in a a place where we had so much warm tungsten light coming from. So I decided to lean with it. It was a Christmas spot. um, So leaning a little warmer felt right anyways. So, yeah, we had that... um, that book light. Um, we had a couple of little, um, Lico's and little small inkies and moles just to warm up the scene. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. That's awesome. It was a, it was a challenge, but it was, it was great. Is that going to be broadcast? Um, I don't think it's going to be broadcast. I think it's okay. just going to be social, but, um, hopefully we'll see something soon. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. All right. I think, I think we're going to wrap on cool. this one. Then. All right. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks.